This is the Gender Justice Brief, a podcast of gender justice. We fight for gender equity by breaking down legal, structural, and cultural barriers and expanding protections. We want to see all people thrive, regardless of their gender, gender expression, and sexual orientation. Hi, everyone. Before we launch into today's regular episode, wanted to give you a quick note. This is Erin Hart, your host. And what you're about to listen to is a few highlights from the keynote at Reproductive Freedom Lobby Day. We had over 450 people register, actually over 500 people register, including the rally for this huge event. We had a few less people come because of the impending snowstorm here in Minnesota, but it was a really great day and we wanted to share this keynote excerpt with you all from Cynthia Lynn from the National Network of Abortion Funds. My name is Cynthia Lynn. I go by she or they pronouns. And thank you, thank you so much um, to my dear friend and colleague and former coworker, Megan, for the lovely introduction um, and the invitation to be here. Thank you to everybody in the room for showing up today to talk with your representatives about the vital roles they have for ensuring abortion access and reproductive autonomy in Minnesota. It's really an honor to have a chance to speak uh, to you today and show up at your side virtually as you lobby today. The work that you're here to do is of incredibly vital importance, not only to people that live in Minnesota, but also people who live in Wisconsin um, and to the you know, others around us um, and also to me personally and to communities that I'm a part of. And so advocates, you are here to move an agenda to really shore up the protections that the state of Minnesota can guarantee and need to guarantee, not only for the people who live where you are and the providers who work where you are, but also to those from states all around you that are relying on one of, um, you know, several, you as one of several um, havens for access to clinical care. In Minnesota, sorry, in Wisconsin, um, as um, you probably have heard, there are no clinical abortions happening at all, all due to an 1849 ban on abortion that is well before Roe that is considered now to be in effect after the Dobbs Supreme Court decision. South Dakota enforced a trigger ban, which is an, uh, an abortion ban that was crafted specifically to go into effect immediately once Roe v. Wade fell. But also we should note that Iowa has a six-week ban enjoined by courts, um, and the Iowa Supreme Court reversed a previous ruling that had declared abortion um, protected by the state constitution. North Dakota has a trigger ban um, that is currently enjoined by courts. And then one more click. Nebraska is a state that we know among many, um, about half of the states actually, that likes to make efforts to restrict abortion. So these are states that we are watching as um, we move through the legislative session um, this year. Megan spoke to this, but we must remember before anything else that Roe v. Wade was never enough. Before the Dobbs decision, abortion was legally a right, but inaccessible for so many. Uh, the reason why abortion funds exist and why funds need support and solidarity now more than ever are this whole host of um, bans and barriers um, that I won't go over in detail because Megan did so well um, just a little while ago. But it's important to know that this is all fueled by a culture of shame, stigma, and criminalization that single out abortion from other healthcare and healthcare decisions. 
You are here today to call on politicians to not interfere with people's right to health care and to support, to back young people's right to bodily autonomy, to defund anti-choice choice, um, anti-abortion and anti-choice centers, and instead back real compassionate resources for pregnant people. So I just want to share with you um, a little bit of what is going on in the national abortion landscape from the perspective of funds and our partners. Um, it is a fractured landscape. Um, in 13 states, um, there is a ban on nearly all abortions, plus a six-week ban in effect in Georgia. And there are bans blocked in eight other states with, um, you know, likely incoming threats given um, legislative sessions that are just getting underway now. You all heard about the um, AHM versus FDA uh, district court um, uh, impending ruling on the use of mifepristone, um, which is you know, one of two drugs um, that is relied upon in over half of the abortions that are happening um, in the U.S. currently. And so um, will have a really um, huge impact on access, um, even more so on top of the already fra fractured landscape. And we should remember that um, underlying all of this are organized anti-abortion forces with consolidated resources, money, power, and influence, really moving an agenda to cut off access and um, the right to legal abortion altogether and to criminalize people for having abortions and for supporting them which is why the work that you're doing here today is so, so important. Um, in the immediate aftermath of the Supreme Court decision on June 24th, abortions are down 95% in the restricted states that are listed above and up only 11% in receiving states like Minnesota um, that are still open um, and supporting uh, clinical abortions. There are, were a total of 10,700-ish fewer clinical abortions in the U.S. in July and August, which are the two months immediately after the SCOTUS decision. And this is from um, some research being done, uh, you know, to really measure the impact of the Dobbs decision called WeCount. Um, and at the same time, calls to aid access, which is a telehealth service that mails people abortion pills regardless of um, the regulatory context. Um, uh, and calls to aid access have tripled. And so I want to share with you a little bit about what this looks like and feels like in Wisconsin. Um, as I mentioned before, there are no clinical abortions happening in Wisconsin, which means that Wisconsin residents need to travel um, or um, opt to self-manage their abortions. Um, people are also being delayed in or denied altogether in miscarriage care. And something that we... Um, among abortion funds in Wisconsin with our regional partners, have um, we have been deepening collaboration and commitments to funding abortion and practical support and really making sure people have the information that they need to navigate the access and um, new and evolving barriers, um, you know, that are um, escalating every day. But I want to say a little bit more about what the impact feels like. June 24th, we all know, was a seismic shift in the landscape of abortion access, but also for me personally and for so many other people, it was a seismic shift in the experience of what it means to inhabit a body that is capable of pregnancy in a state where abortion is considered unlawful. As I was preparing this presentation and my remarks and envisioning getting on a plane, you know, the short plane ride um, between Madison um, and Minnesota and um, Minneapolis, 
it really felt in a different way than I ever had in my life, the huge difference that a state line can make. And I say that as a person with privilege and access in such a way that borders usually mean not much more than logistics and paperwork rather than fear and criminalization. Even though a person can go to plantsandpills.org or other places um, and order um, abortion medication, they have to weigh the risk of being arrested, prosecuted, um, or jailed, <clears throat> excuse me, whether or not there is a law on the books in their state specifically criminalizing self-managed abortion. And that is a heavy calculus to make. Um, it is one that people are making every day and often in everyday ways. I want to make sure to say that we should um, uh, hold that self-managing an abortion with the support that you choose should be a supported option among a spectrum of options free of criminalization. And people should have access to the full spectrum of options for ending an unwanted pregnancy, whether that is an in-clinic surgical procedure, a clinician-supported and supervised medication abortion, um, a self-managed abortion um, with the support that you seek. Uh, the political context also really erodes the trust that a person needs to have um, in their healthcare provider. Um, you know, they have to ask, are they giving me the information that I need? Do I really have and can I really know about all my options? Do they have my care at the center of their own, um, at the center of their work? Or is it their own risk of being sued or arrested that they're um, really solving for? This is not a baseless fear, um, you know, the fear of criminalization, the fear of, um, you know, if their provider is going to report me um, or if somebody is going to overhear us or hear me talking to my partner or a friend and get reported. This is not a baseless fear. The majority of pregnant people who are arrested, charged, investigated or jailed are there because a healthcare provider um, reported them. And so I want to make sure to say that criminalization did not start with the fall of Roe. It did not start with SB 8 in Texas, which you may remember made it possible for any Texas resident to sue any other te Texas resident for suspicion of providing or supporting an abortion that is arbitrarily considered unlawful. This is a graphic that I'm not going to go over in depth, but I really encourage you to seek it out. Um, it's from Interrupting Criminalization, and it depicts how abortion criminalization is interconnected with longstanding criminalization, longstanding systems um, that are designed and historically um, have been used to criminalize reproductive autonomy and how so many institutions are complicit. Again, you can find it at Interrupting Criminalization um, on their website. It's really important to remember that there are no bad abortions. It can be really tempting to, you know, um, lift up an example of an abortion that feels really justified, um, but that also um, puts at risk the, um, you know, uh, the reinforcement of judgment that some abortions um, are for not justified reasons, which itself can um, lend itself to criminalization and supporting some abortions, but not others. As we just talked about, it's really important to affirm and support the decision-making autonomy and power of people who have abortions. I'm going to skip over the, this piece, um, but uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of nuance to be had and a lot to brace for with the incoming Mifepristone lawsuit and its outcomes. <clears throat> and it's really important that we should not be complacent. I was going to end with a chant, but that doesn't work on Zoom. So let me just end by saying, I believe that we will win. And I urge you to embody your purpose and commitment for being here. Ground in your why. Let it organize you. 
Thank you so much for being here today. And um, it was really a pleasure to have the chance to speak with you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Gender Justice Brief. I'm Erin Hart, Communications Director at Gender Justice. And we are recording on Friday, February 24th, after a very snowy week and uh, an exciting lobby day. I'm excited to have Abina back on the podcast. Hey, Abina. Good morning. Abina is our campaign director for Unrestrict Minnesota and Megan Peterson, our executive director from Gender Justice. Hey, Megan. Hi, Erin. Hi, Abina. It's good to be back with you, despite having a cold, which you might be able to hear in my voice. Yeah, a lot of stuff going around this week besides uh, intense amounts of snow. So appreciate you being here uh, despite that. But yeah, uh, we want to focus today on a few things. Obviously, another sort of monumental week at session, our lobby day on Tuesday, and uh, next steps going on with our bills. So why don't we start with lobby day? I know Abina's you know, you and Megan and so many of our team were working hard on the event. Maybe bring us back to Tuesday. And what were your impressions of the day? What were, what were the goals of the day? And, and how do you feel like it went? Uh, Lobby Day was really great. It was really exciting um, to be in person with folks. Our last couple Lobby Days have been virtual because of the pandemic. So it was great to reconnect with faces that we've been seeing on Zoom and just have, you know, people in this space to really think about all of the amazing work that we've been able to accomplish over time, and even the work of getting a trifecta in the legislature this year. Um, And so just a lot of great energy. Um, And just, you know, people really excited about pushing for the leadership agenda. We've been talking about this for almost a year now, and it's just really exciting to see pieces of the agenda actually moving into real policy. And so just commitment and drive um, for people to get the things done and, um, you know, talking to folks that have meetings with their legislators, you know, lots of excitement um, because their legislators were like knew about our agenda and they're ready to get it done. And I think the thing for me that was amazing to see was the rally in the rotunda. Abortion has been an issue that has been so sticky for a lot of politicians for so many years, but we had, as usual, a bunch of politicians coming and trying to squeeze their way into the agenda and have this (laughs) opportunity and so just shows that that was just you know in real time showing the work that we've been doing over the last couple of years to really destigmatize abortion and make it a normal conversation that we have in in our state capital yeah it was really great energy I thought like throughout the day despite like everyone checking their phones about like weather updates Megan yeah well let me turn it to you was this so was this our first lobby day in person since 2019? It was, Erin. No, since 2020, February 2020. Okay, so 2020 did happen. Okay, I wasn't sure. Yes, um, we had a uh, in-person lobby day about a month before the world shut down um, wow. in February of 2020, which was also a great uh, lobby day. But it was so nice to be in person after two years of doing them online. And, you know, I feel like we could have a whole podcast about the snowmageddon that wasn't. Right. Um, I know. And, and the fear and anxiety and, uh, you know, depressed travel plans that it caused. Um, so, I mean, that was 
you know, I think we definitely had people not attend because they were coming from other parts of the state and they were worried about getting home based on the weather forecast. And that was definitely a bummer and would have been, would have been nice not to have meteorologists messing with our lobby day, but you know, what can you do? You got to roll with the punches. So yeah, I think it was just so nice to be in person and get to meet with legislators in person, connect with our supporters and activists and advocates in person and learn and rally and lobby together. Yeah. What was it like for you compared to 2020? What was the sort of legislative environment like in 2020? And what was different about 2023? Oh, gosh, so many things are so different. I mean, we're just in a completely new awakening about the reality and the potency of the end goal of the anti-abortion movement, which is to ban abortion nationwide at any cost. And I think in 2020, we were sounding the alarm on that and our supporters and activists were with us in recognizing the threat to Roe. Nonetheless, it just wasn't kind of the air everyone else was breathing, wasn't the political analysis at that time. I think a lot of people still thought, no, 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 like Roe wasn't going anywhere. And so our our agenda in terms of the bills that we were supporting in 2020 versus now were really different too. Um, We just have a much broader, holistic, ambitious agenda than we did in 2020. I mean, it was 2020 was an important building block to where we are today. It was a year where we did a lot of educating about existing abortion restrictions. You know, that was the one, one of the things that we had found was that most Minnesotans and lawmakers even didn't know about all the restrictions that were on the books. And so lobby day in 2020 was an important opportunity to do that education and and advocacy around the need to remove the restrictions. It must be a different feeling to, you know, come back to the legislature and have like everyone in their yellow shirts and like the PRO Act is passed and we're talking about repealing abortion restrictions. I just felt like it it was a lot of positive energy uh, on on Tuesday for sure. And maybe that was also like the fact that like my kid was just like running around (laughs) like (laughs) wreaking havoc in the background and uh, holding up on restrictions signs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we walk through the day a little bit? I do want to let listeners know that if you have like four or five hours of free time, we do have the live stream available on the Unrestrict Minnesota YouTube page that you can watch at your leisure. But why don't we start with the morning? Uh, Abina, what was the morning program like? Who was our keynote? And what did folks kind of take away from the morning session? So the morning session um, was what I would describe as really grounding for why we were there. The purpose for why we were having lobby day and the importance of making sure that our legislators heard from us. Um, And so we had an opening for Megan where she really laid down um, the history of ownership Minnesota and where we are today. And I think, again, it was just really important for people to see, like, despite the fact that we're still pushing for the agenda, like we've also come a really long way and really shifted and changed the landscape of abortion access here in Minnesota and even the way that we talk about it. And then we had our keynote speaker, Cynthia Lynn, who is the deputy director of the National Network of Abortion Funds. Um, And she really just, again, shared a little bit about um, the national landscape of abortion access and again, why it's important for us to keep the fight in Minnesota. And also just reminded us that um, 
the attacks on abortion are interconnected to the other issues that exist um, around restriction, like restricting other parts of our life. And so like, it just, it was really important um, to be grounded in that and was actually perfect for the day um, because while we were having our lobby day, there's also the Senate for vote for restore the vote, which opened up the opportunity for Minnesotans who finished serving their time for felony convictions to have the right to vote and also restoring driver's licenses for all Minnesotans, regardless of driver's licenses. And so just a really good reminder that while we were fighting for expansion of abortion access in Minnesota, like there's also work to expand other things. And just a reminder that it is possible for our legislators to be bold and pass our legislation. So I think the morning was just great. And then we had people break out into their district um, groups and they discussed their plan for action on what they'd be talking to legislators about. And then also people that didn't have the opportunity to meet with their folks were writing little letters and notes to their legislators. And so just a lot of great energy and grounding people and why this fight is so important and why we need to make our voices heard. Abina, just to clarify, you said driver's licenses for all. That allows any anyone in the state who's going to be driving, regardless of their immigration status, to be able to get a driver's license, right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just on that, I would add, you know, before coming to gender justice, I worked nationally and in that role, worked with a lot of state-based coalitions um, on abortion access issues. And one of the things that I just think we should take a lot of pride in in Minnesota is the way in which the community here across issues is so well connected and really pull for each other. So even though you know, our lobby day was focused on abortion access and reproductive health rights and justice. When driver's licenses and restore the vote moved to the floor on the same day, like we had conversations with folks and offered solidarity and support and invited our lobby day members to go over to the rally. And I think that sort of like cross movement support is not um, always the norm even at the state level. And I think it's something that we can, you know, be proud of here in Minnesota that will kind of all, you know, pull for each other across the progressive space. Yeah, that was really special. And it was nice to see folks mingling from the different groups and the t-shirts in the church space and in the Capitol. Megan, what from your morning program, uh, because you spoke twice uh, at Lobby Day, big day for you on stage at the podium. What was your hot, what was your focus in in the morning program? Like Abina said, I just, you know, walked people through kind of how we have gotten to this place, the history of Unrestrict, the lawsuit Doe v. Minnesota, which in July of last year was successful at striking down nearly all the state's abortion restrictions. I think one of the things that led to a lot of questions and good conversation and discussion was this impending decision out of a Texas court that we could find out about even today or shortly after today, which we're anticipating will remove the FDA approval for mifepristone, which is the first of two medications most commonly used in medication abortion, which over 50% of people who seek abortion in the country and in Minnesota um, use that two medication protocol to manage their abortion. And so a lot of folks in the room, I think it was maybe the first time that they had really heard about it, has been flying a bit under the radar despite, despite our efforts to put it on people's radars. But um, 
you know, a lot of questions like, well, what does this mean? And how can a Texas judge, you know, affect people's access to abortion in Minnesota? And what can we do? And, you know, so just a lot of appropriate concern and alarm and questions about, you know, what it all means. So I think that was a really, you know, one of the benefits of having people gathered in person and being able to deliver that kind of information and have that conversation live is just really valuable. And they were able to then bring that perspective and urgency into the meetings with the with their legislators to just remind them that the attacks on abortion access are not over. And even though we have protections in Minnesota, doesn't mean we're immune from these federal efforts through rogue courts to still you know, try and get ever closer to the goal of the anti-abortion movement, which is to ban abortion nationwide, whatever the cost. So that was, that was an important kind of context for, for the day and for our work right now in general. So they're not just done once they kicked it back to the States and overturned Roe? No. And, you know, I mean, it is important for folks to know that if Mifepristone does in fact become um, basically banned, you know, essentially banned. There is a misoprostol alone protocol that is also very safe and effective. It is not, has not been the standard of care for the last 23 years, but it is an option. But, you know, it's kind of not the point. I mean, we're just continuing down the path of political interference, court judicial interference in established standard, safe, medically accurate uh, care. And and also, there isn't any reason for us to sit back and think like, oh, okay, so now they ban mifepristone, they're probably done. You know, no. If everyone pivots to misoprostol, I'm sure they're already cooking up ways to limit access to misoprostol as well. So we just need to stay really clear that the goal of the anti-abortion movement is to ban all abortion, period, and do everything that is within our power in Minnesota to counter that which segues beautifully into our bills, which are, are still moving at the legislature. Abina, maybe you could catch us up on our repealers, the Reproductive Freedom Codification Act, and where that is right now in the process and, and how we can help move that along. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Reproductive Freedom Codification Act, um, which we call the repealers bill um, is is still moving through the legislature. So it's going to um, go back to the House Health Committee and then we'll go through ways and means again. And we anticipate that it would be on the floor um, sometime in the next couple of weeks. So I'm really excited to see that it's continuing to move. And, you know, we're just reminding our legislators that there is a reproductive freedom majority in this state. And that is why Minnesotans overwhelmingly elected them to do the job of making sure that abortion access is expanded and accessible and available to Minnesotans. And so continuing to have those conversations and continue to watch our bills um, move through. You know, this is like a public health crisis, right? That's sort of coming upon us. And every barrier to access is like it needs to be off the books now. So let's get this moving. Megan, what about the Reproductive Freedom Defense Act? Is that trucking along too? Yeah, that is scheduled to be heard in the Ways and Means Committee in the House on Monday, which would be the last stop before it can go to the floor. Um, so we're 
yeah, very optimistic that that um, bill, you know, continues to have good momentum and continues to move closer to becoming law. That's exciting. What are we going to do once all these bills are passed? <laughs> shots, shots, shots. No. <laughs> there's more. <laughs> there's going to be a really big party. Um, yes. And then, no, really. Yes, yes. There will be. There will be. It'll be a good time yeah. to celebrate for sure. Yes. And last but not least is the Positive Pregnancies Support Act. We definitely have co- covered this in, in past episodes uh, pretty extensively. But, you know, that that bill is is still moving. Um, I think it's just sort of on like a, a slower timeline than the previous two bills. Is that fair? Would you characterize it that way, Megan? Yeah, I think right now the focus is on getting the Codification Act and the Defense Act across the finish line. And then um, we can kind of turn our attention to the Positive Pregnancy Support Act. Uh, I know, I think there's some maybe good new media coverage of that bill coming out soon. And, you know, I think the conversation around that continues to be very positive and that there's a lot of support within the legislature to get that done. It's hard to pick a favorite bill. I like them all. (laughs) So (laughs) I did want to make sure that we lift up for our listeners that uh, we do plan on doing a supporter briefing at Unrestrict, uh, you know, helping folks unpack the decision and what it means. You know, before we wrap up the episode, is there anything else we wanted to uplift on, on, on the lawsuit and, you know, action that, that people can take who are listening? The number one thing is just to continue reaching out to your legislators um, and encouraging them to push leadership in both the House and Senate chambers to get the Reproductive Freedom Codification Act and Defense um, Act onto the floor immediately. Um, we know that with this lawsuit coming down, this will be the first time that we will experience uh, banning abortion, an abortion, an abortion ban here in Minnesota, and it's really critical that we are doing what we need to do to make it easier for our providers to provide care. Things will shift dramatically, and we need to make sure that we have no confusing laws on the books, or thing or questions that people have as they as they provide this um, necessary and critical care to folks. So, um, I think that's the big thing, and I think too just educating people on what's going on. One of the things that these folks have really baked on is that people aren't paying attention. Like everyone was paying attention to Roe because it was a big deal, and they're kind of just silently moving this soon. So it's just raising the alarm that this is happening and that it's not okay. We should be able to choose the type of healthcare that we want with our providers, not have anti-abortion politicians and judges choose or try to dictate that. Megan, any final words uh, this week as we as we wait for this decision and, you know, reflect on lobby day? I would just say, I think, you know, it's easy to kind of feel safe in our Minnesota bubble. We've, you know, have been very proud of the fact that despite Roe going down, we have state constitutional protections. And then the legislature took quick action to, you know, codify a fundamental right to abortion and all reproductive health care in state statute, as well as kind of their opening action in uh, this legislative session. And that's heartening. But, you know, we can't forget the environment that we're living in outside of (laughs) that people are living in outside of Minnesota's borders and what all the evidence is that's all around us in all these states of the real agenda of the anti-abortion movement. In fact, Texas yesterday, there was a bill filed 
to criminalize self-managed abortion. So abortion happening outside of the medical system, but, and that, and it accomplishes that by removing protections for people from the criminal code. So it essentially says, we will prosecute you, you know, that, you know, for, for a long time, the anti-abortion movement said, no, 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 like we're only targeting doctors. We're not targeting um, patients and people who need abortions. And, you know, now again, they're peeling back another layer of the onion, which is like, they will literally do anything in order to try and stop abortions from happening, including threatening, um, or, and likely probably following through with putting people in, in jail for, uh, self-managing their abortions. So I just think we need to hold that context in mind when we engage in a conversation about what our laws in Minnesota should look like on abortion. We do not need special laws that single out or treat abortion exceptionally. We need to put abortion back in to the, the context of, of all pregnancy care and health care and know that the laws that we have on the books that manage and regulate health care um, are sufficient for abortion as well. And that anything other than that is really about, you know, injecting a political agenda into people's health care. Okay, I think that is our time for today. Everyone listening, come back for all the latest as we unpack the the FDA Mifepristone lawsuit is when that comes down. Make sure you're signed up for our email list, follow us on socials, obviously subscribe to the best new podcast on the airwaves right now, The Gender Justice Brief. Uh, thank you so much, Megan. Um, we hope that you feel better and everyone gets rest this weekend. Uh, thank you, Abina. We'll have you back on the podcast soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Gender Justice Brief. This show is produced by Gunter Janel and Audrey Griegas. To keep up with our work in real time, be sure to check out the show notes for where to find us on the web, social media, and to sign up for text updates. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share to help us spread our message. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.